welcome to Give Yourself Some Leeway with me, your host, Eugene Lee. Society gives us this checklist that once you have a secure job, a house, a car, family with kids and a dog running around the backyard, you will be happy. And if you're not happy, then you're just being ungrateful. That's exactly how I felt when I had my secure job, a house, a car, and people looked at me and said, like, oh, from the outside, everything looks great for Eugene. But on the inside, often I was on my tether's end because I felt like I have all of these things that are expected of me, that this is what success looks like. But I still felt like I had no purpose. I wasn't happy. And I felt like I had nowhere to turn because if I was to speak up and say I wasn't happy with all that I had, it would be seen as being ungrateful. Today, I am joined by Katie Falloon Drew. She is a vibrancy coach who helps women to reprioritize themselves, to beat that sense of overwhelm and become their most vibrant selves. Katie and I talk about all of these things because it not just only affects me, it affects so many people out there and they just feel like they can't open up and talk about it. We talk about re releasing the societal conditioning that is harming both our mental health and stunting our growth from moving forward in our lives. How important it is for us to look within, to understand ourselves. What do we really want and why? And how we can shift our mindset and reduce that sense of overwhelm that can often lead us to taking no action, no action to prioritize ourselves, and often expending energy on activities that don't fuel us and lead to burnout. Remember, this is not the end of the conversation. This podcast is just the beginning. You can continue the conversation over at GiveYourselfSomeLeeway.com on Instagram, send a DM, a voice note, a comment at Eugene.Leeway or shoot me an email, Eugene at Leeway.ie. Thank you, and I really hope that you enjoy today's episode with Katie Falloon Drew. Katie, welcome to Give Yourself Some Leeway, and thank, thank you, you so much for taking the time to join the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Katie, one thing that I do want to mention is that we were in the same group for so long and we just never crossed paths. We never talked to each other. And as soon as we did, I was like, we have been on such a similar journey in terms of um, coaching and burnout and everything. And I was like, why didn't this conversation come around sooner? So um, where did your journey start and where did it take you? Because I want to know why it brought you into coaching the same way as it brought me. So, you know, it's funny because I thought I knew I wanted to be a coach before I burned out, which is, is odd, right? Cause most coaches actually start coaching after they've gone through something really, you know, maybe traumatic or horrible. They kind of figure it out and they want to help people avoid the same thing. I actually knew I wanted to coach after my master's degree in health psychology. I wanted to help people you know, be more healthy. And I, I tried to dabble in that, you know, 12 years ago, but then I burnt out after, 
And since then, I actually have changed the angle. It's almost like life experience has like, okay, well, I always knew I wanted to coach even before it was a thing. I always thought it was going to be pretty straightforward. I was in my you know late 20s, early 30s thinking, oh, this is just going to be great. I'm just going to tell all the women how they're going to be more, you know, active and healthy and confident, you know, and then life experience hit me right in the face. And then it got real. Then I went, you know, black, you know, totally just like in the basement and then crawled out. And then I really feel that because of that, now I can really coach. Like now, now I've got the life experience behind me to coach. And was it that you felt that was it imposter syndrome that was stopping you that you didn't have that life experience that you, that you couldn't coach or uh, what was holding you back from the, doing the coaching in the first place? I think it was in my mind because I do know there are 30 year old coaches out there, right? There's great 30 year old coaches out there. But at the time I was trying to be this authority and coach and then I had this feeling like, well, I don't have enough life experience to coach. Like how I, I remember coaching this one woman who was 10 years older than me. And, you know, 30 to 40 is a big difference of life experience, especially, you know, pre-kids, post-kids. And I remember thinking, who's going to listen to me? Like, I don't have, I don't have enough life experience. In retrospect, that was imposter syndrome. I could have started coaching at 30 because you always end up coaching kind of someone, you know, two to five years behind you, not in age, but in development. But I don't think I had the confidence yet. And I think through the burnout and me crawling out of the hole and building the tools, that's what gave me enough kind of, you know, that's what gave me a toolkit. That's what gave me confidence to finally start saying, you know what, I can do this. Yeah, I think that's a great thing where you said that it's not about the difference in age, the difference in development, because often I've come across 40, 50 year olds who are like, Oh, I'm not going to get, um, and I'm not going to get advice from a 25 or a 30 year old. And that next thing is like, but they've been living by the same condition beliefs for the past 40 years and mm -hmm. they haven't developed past them and they've, they've been holding them back. And there's been people that, that just had to come over, that that one limiting belief that was drilled into them as kids and next thing they were like this was holding me back my whole professional career and now I can step up now I can I have the confidence to do what I want to do because they, they finally overcame that and they just needed someone that they not only that they uh, tr like, trusted and respected and actually took their advice on but it was someone who could actually help them kind of see the bigger picture and I think for a lot of people and, and as you said when when you feel that you're not qualified because you didn't have that life experience that you couldn't maybe relate or resonate with them but at the same time it's just trying to maybe it's not from your own personal experience but you could say like look I've dealt with family members who've gone through this and I helped a family member through this so I can understand how you might be feeling and mm -hmm. go from there so mm -hmm. I, and, and I so again yes it's definitely the imposter syndrome that stops a lot of people from there's definitely people who are natural coaches and they just never really delve into it because they feel oh but I don't have the life experience to for, uh, who would listen to me anyway totally and I really you know 
It was my therapist. You know, I've only, it's been a year since I've dug back into this. Like I've, I've been telling people I wanted to be a coach for 10 years, but not doing anything about it, you know, because of those fears. And it was my therapist that said, you know, what's worse than failure, regret. And so, you know, I do think I needed to build that confidence because I do think as a, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, there is a certain level of confidence that you need to be able to step up and coach. But I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's a confidence thing. And I, I think I had a taste of it, but not enough of it and took me a little while to get there, but now I'm ready. <laughs> now I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that was, let's say you had your college, you wanted to go into coaching and was it the pursuit of trying to get into coaching that made you burn out? No. So it was, you know, it, and this is where he starts getting deep about burnout and about, you know, like uh, limiting beliefs and conditioned mind, but it was having kids you know, you want to know when I, when I burnt out was when I got everything I thought I wanted and I sat there and I was still unhappy. I got the gorgeous husband who is still gorgeous. Love him, still with him, but you know, awesome husband got the job, you know, got the secure job, had the kid, healthy, beautiful kids, got the house with no joke, a white picket fence in the back and was still miserable. So it was a rude awakening in my early thirties to say, oh my God, my worth and happiness can't come from the outside. And it, it hit me and it hit me hard and it put me right under because I had everything. I had everything society said I should have and I was still miserable. Yeah. Like, I, I I think, yeah, so it's when society gives you, let's say, a checklist of once mm-hmm. you have all these things, then you're happy. And then it's mm-hmm. like you have no right to complain because you should be grateful for all these things that you have. And that's what kind of a lot of people don't speak up because they feel who's going to listen to me if I say that I'm not happy with all of these things that I have. And mm-hmm. they're going to turn around and say, but you have it so much better than everyone else or you're so privileged or you're or this ABC. And it's like, how dare you speak up and say that you're not happy with your life? Totally. And I, even one of my best friends, like she knew I was struggling, but she didn't know because I was like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Gosh, what's wrong with me? Look at my life. Like I didn't have a traumatic childhood. I don't, I have money. I have kids. I ever like, there's literally nothing on paper that is wrong in my life why am I unable to get out of bed? And I learned that it was because of my own self-talk, my own lack of self-love, this, you know, this conditioned belief that I wasn't enough, but it was on me, no one else. And do you know where that came from, that conditioned belief? Was it something that maybe, uh, was it a thought that someone had drilled in, but maybe by in school or by the way you were raised or was it just something that you had drilled in somewhere in your environment something told you that it wasn't ever enough no matter how much you succeeded you know I think it's a combination I had a great childhood loving parents so you know I I, I joke with my parents like I'm sure there's things they did that 
that affected me in a certain way. There's things I'm doing with my kids that are affecting them in a certain way. So there's no like pointing fingers. I, I do believe growing up in the eighties and nineties as a woman, it was an interesting time. It was the height of the kind of Britney Spears era, crop top, got to be skinny, got to be pretty, all the model magazines. I mean, not to say that it's that much different now, but I feel like at least in my own experience, it was society was just coming in and, and saying like, not only can you do everything. So yay, feminism. Yay. All of a sudden the world is your oyster. My mom always said to me, we had like five jobs to pick from secretary, teacher, nurse, like, you know, it was, it was much more limited. They were able to work. It was very common to work part-time or stay at home as a mom you know, in the early eighties and the seventies, all of a sudden I'm coming up in an era of increased pressure to be attractive because all of a sudden I didn't have internet in high school, but still you had the magazines. It was in your face much more than it was. I think in my mom's generation, expectations were going up and all of a sudden I am now in this generation that you can be CEO. You can be the lawyer, the doctor, the whatever, and, and you can do it all. While at the same time having kids and realizing, oh, but the home life hasn't caught up. Like my, my therapist would joke, like we're in the sandwich generation. You can have it all. You can do it all. And you should. Oh, but you're still going to do 80, 90% at home. So that's why I think for me, I burnt out after kids because it's all well and good to have all of that. You know, you're going, going, going. And then all of a sudden you have kids and, and you've been conditioned to think by society that you can do it all and you should do it all. And yet we're, there's only so much of the pie that you can give. And it was very real to me where all of a sudden after my second child, when I went back to work, that's when I crashed because I was like, well, crap, this is impossible. I can't be the perfect mom and the perfect employee and the perfect wife and the perfect friend. Complete breakdown because I was conditioned to feel that I needed to be perfect in all those areas whether from society, you know, who, who knows, I don't think I can point one thing, but you know, that was, and there's so many moms I coach now still that are this, you know, deal with this guilt, this like, but I have to be everything to everybody. And I'm not good enough if I'm not perfect in all of the ways. And that comes straight back to people pleasing. The, the, the definitely mm -hmm. alarm bells, red flags right there is people pleasing. I think and yep. especially women have been conditioned from a young age to always people please, whether that's like mm -hmm. hosting at dinner parties or mm -hmm. um, minding the, the kids are, are babysitting or child minding and everything. And they're always there to uh, it, it's always the, the people pleasers. And that's why, again, it always comes up, it always comes up around the subject of burnout. It's the that people pleasing mindset. And mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not only women, but it's it's more prevalent um, as, especially as mothers as well. I've seen it a lot that it's, um, they feel that they need to be there to please um, at, at work, that they, they don't want to drop their stands at work, but they need to be there as a parent and they don't want to let their friends down. They don't want to let their partner down. And that's when everything becomes overwhelming. Absolutely. And I, unfortunately for, for women, right now, especially working moms or even actually just moms, I I'm going to speak specifically to, to moms. It is like a lose, lose, lose situation because 
if you're a stay-at-home mom, people look at you like, well, must be nice. You don't have to work. And then, you know, you've got these insecurities of, well, I'm giving everything to my family and I'm not focusing on my own career and like, is am I good enough? Then you've got the working moms that are looking back and going, I don't have time for my kids. I'm not, I'm not being a good enough mom. I'm putting too much in my career. It's like lose, 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 because the pressure is so intense. Like, and social media doesn't help because everybody posts the nice things, right? The perfect birthday parties and the this and that. And I think only recently I'm starting to see the conversation change and people starting to be more vulnerable in front of each other, laughing, joking, like, oh gosh, I forgot to plan the birthday party. I guess I'm going to order pizza and, you know, throw kids in the pool or whatever. But it's, it really wasn't like that. I think I'm just starting to see a bit of a trend change, at least in social media. It could just be what I'm following where the vulnerability is starting to come up, come out. Because for a while, especially in the early 2000s, you know, in the beginnings of social media, you were only getting the rosy, perfect situation. And that is just impossible. And no wonder women and especially like working moms or moms in general are so overwhelmed because it's impossible. Like it's impossible for anyone to be perfect. But when you are holding the weight of an entire family, plus a career, plus you know, expectations of everyone else on you, it's, it could be debilitating. And when you have that much, let's say when you're overwhelmed that much, you have so many responsibilities and you're trying to juggle everything more often than not, you end up getting none of it done because when you're on one task, you're like, Oh, I should be doing this. I can't be spending so much time on the one task because I've got so much else on my plate. And then you mm-hmm. never get around. You're jumping from task to task. It's like having mm-hmm. all pots on on all on all on the four burners at the same time, and switching burners, and nothing gets cooked. It's it's and, and then and then I I I I love using the burner analogy because of course you're going to run out of gas at some point, and nothing's going right. to be done. Right, and the big thing I'm working with women on right now is, which is tough, is that you can't pour from an empty cup. So not only have we, are we in a lose-lose situation, depending on how you look at it, well, the way society puts it on us, but we're also then, so many women won't take the time for self-care. And when I say self-care, I don't mean a manicure. Like, I mean, what do you need? Do you need to order out tonight because you're too tired to cook dinner? Do you need to have your partner um, step up so that you can get a workout in because that's gonna, you know, give you the break that you need and help your physical mental health. There is such a huge misconception that self-care is selfish. And this would be the number one thing I'm trying to address in women. It's teaching you, teaching women, busy women that are overwhelmed, that are tired, that are being pulled in all different directions, whether they're moms or not, that I know it's crazy to think that you need to add something else like some self-care, but actually when you can figure out how to take the space for yourself, your cup fills up. The overwhelm does actually go down. You can actually manage your time better and then you're not pouring from an empty cup. And then of course your confidence goes up. Of course. And it's not, when I say confidence, I don't mean look at my outfit, walking into a room. I'm confident. I mean, like, that's why I use the word vibrancy. I'm a vibrancy coach. I didn't actually love, after a while, I was like, confidence, confidence. I think people are misconstruing that word. Vibrancy comes from within and it comes from this deep seated place where you 
are fully yourself and you're okay with that and you're okay with your flaws and you're not going to let them burn you out anymore. You're not going to let them over and you're going to do what you need to do to keep your cup full, not necessarily full, but at least full enough that you can show up for the people around you, but yourself. And that's a huge mind twist for a lot of women is, well, I don't have time for myself. I need to be doing everything for everyone else. And I say, you don't have, you actually don't have time not to focus on yourself because you cannot pour from an empty cup. Yeah. I like how you use the word vibrancy there because it's kind of how, how you shine, how that is, is how mm-hmm. you affect others. And mm-hmm. I always, I always try to emphasize self-care as if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of others. If you're not giving yourself a hundred percent, how can you show up a hundred percent for others? It's like, if you, if you let your health um, be at risk, then you're not, you probably won't be around for the next 20 or 30 years to take care of others. So if you can't prioritize your health first, you probably won't have the energy to spend as much time with your kids to be able to run around with your kids. Or if you don't take that time to yourself, you're going to resent others over time that I never had the time to take care of myself. I spent all that time taking care of you. Now you need to take care of me when I'm old and I'm sick. And mm-hmm. it, it it just becomes, and, and that's when you become kind of dark and kind of very cynical of others. And totally. you're having the opposite effect of what you wanted. You wanted to serve others and 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 be there for them and support them but you've actually created the opposite but by taking mm-hmm. as you said taking time for yourself and becoming that vibrant version of yourself regardless of wh- however you turn up to, to any situation then everyone's going to see oh you're the light that shines in the room and they're going to exactly. respect you more for that and you're going to be a better role model for anyone who looks up to you and says wow how does katie light up room every time she walks in Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with what I'm wearing now. Do I love to kind of wear vibrant things? Cause I'm at a point in my life where I've got that level of vibrancy because I've employed all the tools for the past 10 years, but you don't even have to be that. You don't even have to be the person that looks on the outside to be confident, to show up in your light. I like using the word light. And I love that you just said that it's your energy. It's your presence. It's the grat. I mean, I have so many tools that I work on with clients. Like you know, it's the gratitude. It's that sense of gratitude. You know, my husband and I, and we're very open about it. We did marriage counseling. It was the best thing we ever did because of the crazy amount of resentment I had, right? Well, it must be nice to go golfing with the boys and I'm doing this and that must be nice, must be nice. And she said to me, here I am thinking that he was going to get in trouble. (laughs) She was going to, and she turned to me and she said, well, why are you waiting for him to give you permission to take time for yourself and if you don't step back how's he gonna step up and this is where I'm helping women like I get it you're overwhelmed and tired like that's is it is the season of life I I am still in that season two kids competitive sports like you know working a ton but there are tools and mindset shifts that you can employ and really get good at to get the cloud and the resentment and the spin out of your head, do some sustainable things that work in your life that actually, you know, are going to make you feel more vibrant. For me, it's mindfulness movement and ensuring that I have carved out something that feeds my soul so that I don't resent everyone else when they have time to do that, including my kids. 
right? Because because exactly you you said the the exact right thing. It was like to to the effect. I mean, paraphrasing is you you know whether it's kids or those around you, they do as you do. They don't do as you say. And this is a huge message for moms. You can say, well, I gotta I gotta do this. I gotta be there for the kids. And so I'm not going to take care of my body. I'm not going to eat healthy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to exercise. I'm not going to do, you know, because I need to give them all my energy. Well, they're watching you and they're learning how someone should take care of themselves. So they're not, they don't care what's coming out of your mouth. They're going to mirror what you're actually doing and how you're showing up in the world. And that's sometimes how you really flip the switch in moms in, in the mother kind of crowd that I, that I work with. That's how you switch their brains around to say, Oh gosh, like I'm literally modeling to my kids what to do, especially daughters, especially daughters, because they're watching their moms. They're watching them look in the mirror. They're what they're listening to how they're talking about themselves and their bodies. So you can't be a mom who's saying, Oh, I'm fat. Oh God. I like, Oh, I look horrible. Oh, no, no, no. And then turning around to your daughter and saying, Oh no, but like, Oh, and, and she starts saying that. And you say, Oh, don't say that. Where do you think she's learning it from? So, you know, it's, it's sometimes a hard thing to, to get people to shift their mindset when they're already overwhelmed and burning out and busy that, you know, oh, I don't have time for anything else. I don't have time. I don't have time to add anything else to my plate. And that's where like, you know, if you think that's why I don't even lead with exercise. I mean, gosh, don't even start there. Like that's overwhelming. It's first, how do you get, get inside, look at your limiting beliefs, see how you can like kind of sweep out the broom closet first, get to a point where you appreciate that self-care is important. And then, and only then can you actually start building healthy habits, but you can feel more vibrant without even changing one part of your lifestyle just by changing your mindset just by flipping the script a little bit in there with all the that mental chatterbox I'd be curious you know if, if other people have talked to you about that it's like that the stories you tell yourself in your mind and how that leads to burnout yeah often it's that it's that self-narrative you're kind of putting mm -hmm. yourself down it's the Debbie Downer in your head and the way I like to look at it is if if you talk to your best friend like that, they wouldn't hang around for long. So mm -hmm. why would you talk to yourself like that? You're always putting yourself down like, oh, you, there you go doing that again. Oh, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, you, 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 um, you fail that test again. Or, oh, you, you always do this. Why don't you just change? Why, why are we repeating or having this conversation again? And if you're always going to talk to yourself like that, then nothing's ever going to change. You're, you're never going to want to change because, because you're, so afraid of failing again you're like okay maybe i just won't ever try that again because i know i'm going to put myself down um what i loved about what you said there about self-care and self-awareness is that they're like the, the top three pillars that i have for uh give yourself some leeway are self-awareness first then self-compassion and then self-care you have to be aware of yourself first sometimes when it comes to mindfulness especially when I first burnt out, it was very hard to be mindful because I had, I was so emotionally and physically exhausted and mentally exhausted that I didn't have time to, I, people ask me, it's like, oh, how do you feel? And I was like, I 
don't know. I, I don't know how I feel. I, I didn't know what feeling was because I was like, am I sad? Am I depressed? I don't know. I don't feel sad. I just don't know what I, I was just so confused. And I had to take a step back and it was just taking small steps. Like, what can I do to make myself better? And first things I was doing, I, I was like, I need to exercise more. And the next thing I started running. And I found that running was giving me that runner's high, but I wasn't processing my thoughts. It was another form of escapism. It wasn't actually addressing the problem. And if anything, I was just exhausting myself physically. And that just added more to the problem. That was just added more to the downward spiral. But when I started just going for walks and just going out in nature and just admiring things, just like looking at the trees or listening to nature or maybe just throwing on a podcast in the background while I'm going for a walk, and it just triggered different thoughts. And I was like, okay, I'm thinking again. Is this how I feel? Is this how I feel about myself? Is this how I feel about others? And just by having those small thoughts and those small little moments over time, I was like, okay, I'm becoming more aware of who I am now. And then I had to learn self-compassion to recognize this is who I am. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with feeling this way. This is how I feel right now. It's not how I always want to feel, but I know I can change that, which is the next step, self-care. And by understanding that, it's going to take a lot of time. And yes, I need to start prioritizing making time for myself and taking care of myself so that I can show up for others. And um, that's where it, it all comes back to, if you don't have that self-awareness and that self-compassion first, it's very difficult to stay consistent with self-care because you've got nothing to back mm -hmm. it up. You, you will mm -hmm. always feel selfish if you can't justify why you're taking care of yourself first. <laughs> It's so funny. Our, you know what my program is called? Wake up, show up, then step up. <laughs> so it's like we have the same framework because you can't step up until you wake up to what's going on. So it's, it's funny. I talk to other coaches and it's like, we have our own spin on things, but a lot of the time there's a lot of similarities, right? It's like, or, you know, work in before you can work out. And this is where coaches like coach, a coach like you, a, a burnout coach, like I wish when I went, did my full mental break and I went on, you know, I went to my doctor, gave me my antidepressants. That's what doctors do, at least in North America. Here you go. Here's your prescription. Nothing against that. It did help get my head above water for a while. And like you say, get out of that complete gray zone where I couldn't even think about thinking. So I have nothing against it, but I, I wish at the time I had even known about coaching, like having that other person challenge your, your mental, that devil on your shoulder. That's that keeps telling you these things. Like there's, it's invaluable. Like, you, and that's, what's so cool about seeing this profession grow now and more and more people, people have known about counseling for a while and therapy, you know, people often ask me, well, what's the difference? Well, the, I always suggest coupling it because therapist is going to help you understand why you're doing what you're doing. Like maybe there's things in your past. Maybe it was the condition from your family or trauma or whatever. And then a coach kind of jumps in and helps you kind of move forward, right? Really like it helps you attack those limiting beliefs, adds the action into it in a gentle, but sometimes depending on what you're coaching, a gentle, but, um, 
lovingly forceful way. Right. And I wish 10 years ago that I knew about coaches. So that's, what's great now. I mean, more and more coaches are coming on the scene. Like amazing. This is, this is where it's helpful for people who don't even know where to start. Like, and that's where I, a lot of what I pitched in to, to women is, you know, I get that you're overwhelmed and you don't even know where to start. Like that's where coaching can help you. Like let's work. Sometimes you need to work it through with someone else. I mean, journaling is great to a certain extent, but when you work it through with someone else and you get it all that out of your head and you start really getting someone to challenge some of your beliefs and ask you questions like, you know, one technique I use is motivational interviewing, but ask you questions in a certain way. It's amazing how quickly you can kind of say, oh gosh, like you said, like as if your best friend was talking like, wow, that's so not true, you know? But if you don't do the work, the inward work, whether alone or with support, I mean, it's 10 times easier with support, you know, that just keeps spinning. That, that record can continue to spin, like you said, for 30, 40, 50 years. I know people that are much older than me that still haven't gotten off that treadmill. I think one way of, let's say, visualizing the difference between coaching and therapy uh, one thing that I always like to look back at is sports. The difference between having a sports coach mm -hmm. and having a physical therapist. So if, if you have a broken leg or you've torn a hamstring, your coach can only tell you so much. They'd be like, oh, rest it. But you need to get physical therapy done. Physical therapist is going to show you how to heal that injury. It's a, it's much deeper. They're going to be dealing with deep tissue, um, like recovery and everything. And you have to get that therapy done first before you can make progress and grow with a coach. So I think it's, it's, it's understanding there is a, there is a very, um, it's, it's not a fine line, but there, there is a very distinctive uh, line again, between coaching and therapy. There's only so much a coach can do, but if there, there's a lot to work with and it's like, it's like, look, it's like you need to get therapy or you need to get professional help here first before you can continue on your coaching journey and it's about mm -hmm. stepping up as well and recognizing that as a coach being like look i can help you but you need to address this and that's mm -hmm. an, and that's another actionable step that people feel like oh but you're you're a coach you're supposed to help me through this and i was like yes but your action step here is you need to address this first mm -hmm. with a therapist mm -hmm. or with a counselor and have that conversation and first is, yeah, yeah. And there's some big coaches. I feel like I might've seen Jay Shetty, something Jay Shetty shared. There are, I've heard of coaches that will not coach people that have not done the therapy first. So, you know, which I, so to, to a certain degree, I understand. I think that there are some people that can jump into coaching depending, you know, maybe they don't have necessarily those deep wounds. I love that analogy, by the way, like I'm going to, I'm going to take that <laughs> and steal that one. But it, yes, because, and I've, had people ask me like, well, you know, I have a therapist, like, can I, can I also work with you? I'm like, even better. Like, cause you can absolutely, you jump off of each other. It doesn't have to be before it can be during, but to your point, like you, you, it's different angles. And then, cause you really do want to be careful with certain clients that, that, yeah, that haven't, it's almost like the wound that, that I'm not trained to necessarily touch that 
but the nice thing is, is if someone doesn't know that they start coaching to your point, the action item is then listen, I would really, I would really strongly consider going and seeing a therapist going for, you know, internal family systems is a cool new therapy that I've recommended to one person. Um, and you know, but then we can still work on it once that, once you've started healing that wound and you're ready for that kind of starting to move into action, that's where the coaching can really help. In my experience, the therapy was very important for certain pieces, but I really do wish I had had access to coaching at the time. When, when I was out of the deepest, darkest hole, had the medication on board and some of the therapy to really kind of open and heal, open some of the wounds because you don't even know that they're there and start to heal them. Then I kind of was on my own for the past 10 years um, to, to find the tools and the ways to move forward, which is to back to your original question of what made you want to be a coach. Like I've now built a pretty large toolkit and I don't want other women to have to go through what I went through with limited support. Like that's why I want to help. Cause I want to share what worked. I mean, what worked for me might not necessarily work for everyone, but you know, all of the things that I've picked up along the way, a lot of which I just had to figure out through trial and error. I want to share that with other women genuinely so that they do not waste any more of their precious life because I wasted, I mean, wasted is a big word. I think in retrospect, everything, you know, everything happens for a reason and you grow and it's all about growth. So I, it's not that I regret anything, but I would love to help women move out of that zone faster than I did. And what would be, again, what's the smallest step that you feel that they can take because as we say i feel that a lot of people when it comes to self-awareness they can't stand three minutes of being alone with their with, with their thoughts and I, I know a lot of people that they get uncomfortable if they have to sit in silence i think there there's like an experiment where they had someone like um administer an electric shock and it's like there's like a battery or something that they are wire they can use to shock themselves. It's like okay, you can sit in here, and uh, you just have to sit here in silence with your thoughts for thirty minutes, or you can shock yourself. And I think ninety percent of the participants chose to shock themselves during the thirty minutes, just to distract themselves from being alone with their own thoughts. Mm, that's telling. That's telling. I use a technique in my group coaching course that I taught in my last group coaching course called 51020. And, you know, depending on where a client's at in their journey, I mean, some come to me and they're like, you know, they're already working out, they're already moving their body and they know that they already know that self-care is important and they just want to get from here to here. Right. So it really depends. But for me, there's some, the, there's big, the components for me in terms of living a vibrant life two important components that unless you're physically unable to do that I recommend to every person is some kind of mindful movement from a place of self-love. So this is not going and doing CrossFit four times a week. It's not like, you know, it's moving out of shame, but it's moving into, I love myself enough to take care of myself. Just like I love my car. I'm not going to let my car sit there and rust for six months because it's not going to be drivable. So I am huge on moving your body mindfully 
what whatever that is for you doesn't have to be intense and some type of mindfulness practice which is where some people get uncomfortable exactly like you're saying so I don't even use the word meditation because sometimes that people are like no way I suck at meditating I can't meditate no no problem let's not even use the word meditation so what's worked for some people in my course is let's we're just going to do 5 10 20 for five minutes of the day hopefully in the morning you're just going to be quiet you're not going to meditate let's not call it meditation you're just going to listen to some music or, or maybe you'll go on insight timer app or something and listen to a five minute guided meditation, but just see before you grab your phone, if you can just be still and it's going to be uncomfortable, but five minutes, it's almost like the atomic habits, but book, like make it, make it reasonable. Don't, don't start from zero to an hour of meditating. And that's what you're going to do. No, five minutes. Okay. Everyone can do five minutes, five minutes. You're going to have ideas that float in and out. No problem. That's fine. Just five minutes. And then I have them just 10 minutes max. So some people can start at two is write out the crap that negative, anything that's in your mind that you just almost as if you're talking to your therapist, almost as if you just, you're talking to someone who's super safe that you can get the negativity out, the limiting beliefs, right? So you write that out, you get it out of your mind. And then you look at that as if you were your best friend and you just look and just that exercise, even if you picked one thing, you did it for two minutes, I'm uh, just really sucking at home, not doing very well in this, but, and then you take a step back, you take a breath and you look at that as if your best friend, that just starts to change your perspective. So it's not going to solve all your world's problems, but you start noticing, oh gosh, I, I might be a little hard on myself. And when you do that in a way that's really uh, doable, I guess is the right word. Like, okay, I can do five minutes. I can do two, two to 10 minutes of, of writing something down. I even say, crumple it up, burn it, throw it out after. I don't care. Don't be perfect about it. It's fine. And then let me throw up for the challenge. The 20 minutes is 20 minutes of something that feeds your soul for me, or, or some 20 minutes of something that you know is going to make you feel more vibrant. And we do an exercise to figure out what that is. But most days, 5, 10, 20, it is amazing what that'll do. And starting small. And then if there's someone who's like, you know, I really don't have 30 minutes or a day or 35 minutes when you add that up. Okay. Two minutes, two minutes, five minutes. I don't care. But it's the little things where you start to notice when you start to notice, you can start to change. So that that's one technique that I use five minutes of mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, 10 minutes, up to 10 minutes of journaling out the negative thought and, and looking back as if you're your best friend and 20 minutes of doing something that makes you feel vibrant for me, that's moving my body. Yeah. I, I, I can see a lot of people as soon as you say five minutes, they're like five minutes. Okay. And next thing you probably get about 30 seconds in they're Like this is torture. Mm-hmm. so like i i think of what's the most simple thing that someone can do and it has to be so ridiculously simple that to not do it seems even more ridiculous so like so like some of the simple steps that i have for people is okay uh, the only thing you have to do today and and that's a win and that's that's your win for the day is when you get up in the morning have a glass of water start your day off with a glass of water you're hydrating your brain. You're probably going to think more clearly and you're going to make better decisions that day. That's your first step. That's the first challenge. Do that for a week. Do that for two weeks and see how you feel. Mm-hmm. The next one is when you get up in the morning, 
when you look in the bathroom mirror, when you go to brush your teeth, smile. Just smile at yourself. Give yourself a smile and start your day off with a smile. If, if the only person who smiles at you that day is yourself, that's a win. The next challenge past that is the next first person you see, or maybe it's your dog, to smile at someone else. And maybe your dog smiles back, I don't know. But if you smile at someone else, nine times out of ten, they're probably going to smile back. And you probably brighten up their day. And knowing that you're brightening up someone else's day has an exponential effect on your happiness that day too. So these are just the small things that just help you have that mindset shift. One is having a glass of water. Another is starting your day with a smile. And it they're the things that seem so ridiculously simple that it almost almost takes more effort to avoid them and mm-hmm. they and, and they put you on that journey of positive growth just like that I love that and you know and I think you're you're I mean you're working I'm assuming like with people who are burnt out right like they're they can't even think about doing anything at this point am I right in assuming that yeah yeah exactly it's yeah like, yeah if, if, you, if you say 5 10 20 to them they're going to be like five, 10, 20 seconds. I don't have time for that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No. So that's great. I mean, for me, I'm dealing with people that are trying to do it all and loading it all in. And it's like, wait a second. Right. It's like, whew, like, you know, it's like, okay. But to, yeah, to your point, I mean, it's, I love that Atomic Habits book. It's, it's like pick something for two minutes and start there. And so yeah. that's the, that's the glorious thing. So I, I taught that in my group course as a framework and said that there's flexibility. The glorious thing about the one-on-one coaching is, you know, when someone is going to be too overwhelmed with five minutes versus two minutes, and then you can work on them with those little, okay, now we're going to connect next week. Did you do that? And adding that, that little accountability, someone who's, who's, who feels that like I'm cheering for you and I know you can do this and we're going to connect and see if that happened. And that's where the, I love the one-on-one coaching. Cause you can just say, okay, let's do this. And then there's a sense of pride, right? Like I really, I think I made a reel the other day that to me, if you want to feel vibrant, just do one little thing that makes you proud every day. And that one little thing could be to your point, drinking, drinking a glass of water before you've had your coffee or going out. You told yourself you were going to do a 10 minute walk and you did your 10 minute walk. That's it. Cause pride breeds confidence and vibrancy. And what makes me proud, like working on my coaching business or whatever, even something hard is going to be very different than what makes you feel proud. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's that tightrope. I, I, I like to use an analogy of like vibrancy when I'm coaching someone on being more, more vibrant is a tightrope between loving yourself and pushing yourself a little bit towards like make, making yourself feel proud, doing the thing that maybe is a little bit hard and moving forward. Because it's very easy to be like, well, I love myself, so I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to be comfortable and complacent. But that's really not going to make you feel vibrant because everyone has something that they're really just trying to move towards. So that's that tightrope between, because if you too, if you go too far off the one end, I'm going go to go, I'm going to go from zero to hundred. I'm going to do new year's resolutions. I'm going to, and then I crash because I can't keep that up. That's too much. I hate, I hate new year's resolutions. PS. Um, that's too much that you've fallen off the tightrope. You've fallen down the cliff on the one side, on the other side. Well, self-care, which means I'm just going to stay in bed today. Cause I, cause that's self-care. Cause what I need today 
is staying in bed. Meanwhile, you've set a goal for yourself to incorporate mindful movement in your life and that you're not going to always want to do that. And so then you fall off the cliff the other way. You've, you've, you've kind of got locked into your excuses and you're going to not move forward. So it, I like to use that analogy of a, of a tightrope and the tightrope is going to change depending on where you are in the journey. I always, I, I, whenever someone brings up new year's resolutions, I cringe. Oh. And I, I went on a massive rant back in January about it. I was like, don't make a new year's resolution. Just, just cruise through January enjoy the rest of the, the Christmas food because you're going to guilt yourself on the 1st of January mm-hmm. if you have a New Year's resolution. Just enjoy yourself. January is a depressing a month as it is. So start of February. You have you have a goal for the rest of the year. Or mm-hmm. And if you don't start in February, start in March. Start in June. Whenever. Start in, start in August. Start in August and have a head start on the following January that, that you're in a better place. I, I, I hate when people are like new year, new me and all this. And, and next thing, two weeks later, they feel, oh, I'm, I'm after falling off the wagon. I'll start next January. And then the shame comes back in. Yes. And I, especially coaching women, especially around physical activity, it's been conditioned in our minds that we need to be active to look a certain way. And so we've attached it to shame. And I bet you, you'd probably see some similarities in some of your clients with burnout, especially corporate, right? Whatever, whatever it is, some expectation that you have attached yourself and now it's in a negative light and in like, and you've attached it to shame. Nobody's going to do something that they're, that's attached to shame. Like who actually is going to build sustainable habits and do something that is only, you're only doing it because you feel like you have to. And that's what, when I work with, when I work with clients after we've woken up and kind of started to show up and now we're ready to step up. Now we're ready to actually create a, um, lifestyle shifts, which I, which is like the end, like we're, you're not there unless you've really worked in and you've done the mindset work and you've looked at the limiting beliefs and you've shifted your mind, your mind away from that shame and blame. Then you can start building in tiny habits. I like to call them, right? I am someone who is healthy. It doesn't mean I'm healthy every day. I am someone who is, you know, active, which means that one week I might have a lot of energy and I'm going to do some weights. And the next week I'm just kind of tired, but I'm an active person. So I'm still going to go for a five minute walk. As soon as you embody that identity of who you want to be and how you want to feel in a place of self-love and self-acceptance, it, it doesn't, it's not hard anymore. You don't need a new year's resolution. Because you, you've just decided that's who you are and, and it's possible. It's just people don't see it. That comes back again to self-care and, and those mm-hmm. habits. You need to be mm-hmm. aware. You need to be aware, have that self-awareness, treat yourself with compassion and treat yourself with kindness so that you can reinforce why you're starting this new lifestyle habit, why, why you want to implement this lifestyle change. And if you keep on framing it as, oh, I have to do it because this is the way people will look at me if I don't. Or you can reframe it as, I want to feel healthy. And I know that if I do this more often, I'm going to feel more vibrant. I'm going to feel like I'll have more energy in the evenings. I think I'm going to sleep better too if I implement this change of eating healthier five days a week or maybe just going for a walk 
maybe it also gives me time to spend time with my family or my friends. It gives me an opportunity to say, let's go for a 10, 20 minute walk and catch up. And it's just implementing those small changes and again, reframing it, giving it a positive, um, a, a positive narrative and being like, you almost look forward to implementing that lifestyle change then mm -hmm. rather than having the negative self-narrative of, oh, you're going to hate yourself if you don't do this and rather think, oh, if I do this right now, I have the opportunity to spend an extra 20 minutes with my kids going for a mm -hmm. walk. Or, oh, I, it gives me a chance to catch up on how my partner's week went or how my friends have been getting on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's often the mindset shift first. This is exactly what you're saying. Whether you're coaching someone on burnout or, co or I'm coaching women who, who don't feel vibrant or who don't feel like themselves, who feel like they've lost themselves, it always starts with mindset. And I don't, I would, I don't think there's any other way to start than with your own limiting beliefs, the stories you're telling yourself, because then I think you could try anything and I don't really don't think it's sustainable. I think another thing that stems off that then is when someone says, oh, I'm, I'm just not motivated anymore. I'm just not oh, motivated God. to do. I hate that word motivation. Don't bring it away for motivation. <laughs> I talk about that all the time. I'm just not motivated. No freaking wonder, because you only get motivated when you do start doing. <laughs> like, you can't wait for motivation. Oh gosh, that's like it's like motivation to me is like the like New Year's resolutions. I'm just not motivated. How are you motivated? I'm not motivated to work out in the morning. I don't want to do it but I've made a decision and I've now attached it to something positive and I've attached it to self-love and I've, and I've been able to do it enough that I, I have got all the benefits that I know. I, I know I can five, four, three, two, one, like Mel Robbins says, and just shut your brain off and just ignore it, put the damn shoes on and then start doing the doing and then go, Oh man. Okay. It's not so bad. Ooh, maybe I'm actually going to run. Oh, you know? And so I, yeah. Oh, motivation. It's like a trigger word for me because it's so many people think, it's going to show up magically and it doesn't show up. It's like confidence doesn't show up. You don't get confident until you start doing something little by little by little by little. You know, you and I didn't get confident as a coach until we started coaching. We had to do it and we had to do the scary thing. We did a little bit by a little bit by a little bit and then we gained confidence. So it's such a cop out. I, I feel not to be like really blunt, but this whole waiting for motivation and waiting for confidence is you'll wait till you die. <laughs> right. Like I really believe anyway, I think you can't wait for motivation. You, you figure out how to reframe your thinking and how to sparse out in realistic steps, the things that could, you could do, and then just push past a little bit by a little bit past your limiting beliefs, start getting the evidence by doing that's where the motivation starts flowing. That's where the confidence starts flowing. Yeah, I'm the same. Sometimes I uh, people think that I'm crazy for working out in the mornings before work. So I like to get up that, just get up that extra hour early and walk to the gym and then get a good intense workout in, then walk to work. And I'm refreshed for the day. And I was like, okay, that's my win for today. And so they're like, I'm wide awake. I've, I've been up for two or three hours now and now I'm ready to get work done. And they're like, oh, you're so motivated that you can get up. And I'm like, no, I, I just do it. 
mm-hmm. I, I do it because I know that I'll feel better if I do it. Some mornings I'm like, oh, I, I just want to sleep in for an extra two or three hours. And it's okay. It's okay from time to yeah. time. But I, I know that I'll feel sometimes I'll just feel a little sluggish when I get to work. And I'm like, you know what? I probably would have felt better if I had that workout this morning. Mm-hmm. And then I feel I was like, I was like, okay, I'll get back on track. But I was like, tomorrow's a new day. And, and instead of beating myself up about for, for missing that workout, I'm like, okay, I actually probably would have felt better if I did if I didn't sleep in. So tomorrow, back on track. And and they're like, oh, you're so motivated that you managed to get back up in the morning and and and, and not sleep in again. And I was like, no, it's it's again how how you frame it in your mind and that that narrative <laughs> that makes you either hit the snooze or just five, four, three, two, one. Oh, I, my shoes are on now. I might as well go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, that's where, you know, a lot of what I did in my master's degree with health behavior change is it's not supposed to be easy, right? Like everyone's just waiting around for it to be easy. If you're actually trying to change your health behavior specifically, there's hacks and I teach clients that there's hacks that you can do. Like there's like triggers and rewards. So like, you know, for example, I got a trip over my gym clothes in the morning. Cause I know I'm, I know I'm going to anticipate that I don't want to do it. So I'm going to set it up. I'm going to set up little, little hacks, little things, but like back to the tightrope, you know, you and I are people that have somehow managed to change that framing and do it enough that we now know it serves us. Someone who doesn't do it at all can't expect to get to where you and I are. Cause I also wake up an hour early and I work out every morning and I didn't go from zero to that. It, it was a journey of of almost like litmus testing what's, you know, and, and you really only can do that when you, when you start loving yourself enough to take care of yourself. And when you start looking inside to say, what is actually making me feel better and what's making me feel worse. And with my clients and part of my group coaching courses to actually have them write it out. Sometimes you don't even realize it. Like, this is how I want to feel. What are the thoughts that I'm thinking that are making that are, you know, I call them you know, um, they are disabling this feeling or enabling this feeling. What are the thoughts? What are the actions that are enabling or disabling? Once you actually get it out, that's why I'm a fan of journaling, even though the word can be triggering to people, but call it whatever you want, writing things out. All of a sudden, it's almost like your third person instead of it spinning up here and you can look at it critically and say, oh gosh, there's a pattern there staying up till 1am drinking wine, not watching Netflix is not making me feel more, more vibrant. And it doesn't mean I can't do that on a Friday night or it doesn't mean I can't do that sometimes. But when I start to see the pattern and I start to actually really look at what's making me feel better, then and only then can I start making the little changes and it doesn't have to be zero to 100. That's where the coaching helps, right? Like that's, that's where someone who's kind of like, come on, let's go. You know, it's, it's because it is, can be hard to do it yourself. 100 percent yeah so if anyone wants to get in touch with you katie what's the best way for them to uh, reach out to your website or yeah so healthyconfidentu.ca because i'm here in canada healthyconfidentu.ca and i also from there you can go and click onto all my socials i'm really active on instagram that's where i share a lot of my content i love communicating and kind of interacting with people on instagram and, you know, people can just chat with me, book a call and, and chat about like zero pressure. What, what do I do? Yeah. Group coaching, one-on-one speaking. Yeah. Would love to connect people. 
Awesome. Brilliant. That's one thing I love about Instagram is like, it's like someone can just drop a DM or a voice mm-hmm. note and like to start the conversation that way. Some people mm-hmm. like the old fashioned send the old email, but it's nice when they can just drop in Instagram and leave a voice note and t- tell you, give give a bit of feedback. And I always love that when people just give a bit of feedback. So Katie, yes, I've, I've been like doing that. The voice notes on the, I've been doing that. If you start following me on Instagram and, you, and I'm able to message you, I'm like, how's it going? <laughs> and I love that. So it's great. Yeah. But everything can, they can find it all from my website. Awesome, Katie. Thank you so much again for joining. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.